listening to Earth Matters, produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne on the Kulin Nation and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. We're bringing you environmental and social justice stories. I'm Corey Green. This week on Earth Matters, we're celebrating a win. Unconventional gas mining has been banned in Victoria. We speak to Alison Marchant from Friends of the Earth and Lock the Gate. Welcome to the show. Um, can you please introduce yourself? Uh, yes, so my name's Alison Marchant um, and I am a campaigner in Western Victoria for Lock the Gate. Excellent. And um, so, first of all, congratulations on getting a permanent ban on onshore unconventional gas mining in Victoria. How does that feel? Oh, it is absolutely amazing feeling. Um, it's been um, just sinking in, I think, now how big an announcement it was. But when I first when we first heard it, it was just pure joy and, and relief um, that the government were able to put a permanent ban on this um, toxic industry that we've been trying to fight um, for the last three or four years. So it's um, a huge relief off communities, and um, and now it's just slowly sinking in of how how big it is. Yeah, definitely. And what do you think made the campaign so successful? Uh, look, I think because we had, it was three years of um, hard slog of communities trying to get the right key decision makers to, to listen. But in that three years, we've been able to um, have more communities declare themselves gas field free. We've been able to um, have a bigger awareness in the wider community, not just with those communities who are affected with licences. So um, the, the awareness around the issue of fracking and the issue of um, uh, unconventional gas has, has really expanded in the last three years, so that has helped. And I think, too, that um, we made it really clear to the government that we weren't going to allow this industry, um, and people were willing to lock their gates, and people were willing to blockade, and um, as much as we didn't want to do that, it was made very clear that that the government really didn't have much of an option here, and we really needed them to stand with, um, with communities and not side with the uh, oil and gas industries. And can you talk in a little bit more detail about the sort of um, tactics you used? Uh, so I think back at, in the beginning of all this, um, it was just more about mobilising communities and getting them aware. So, um, for instance, in my little town of Moriac, we uh, had a little commu- uh, committee starting and we decided to survey our residents. So that meant door knocking on every door and um, asking one question, Would you would, do you wish to live in a gas-filled free um, town? And they could say yes, no or unsure. And so we're getting, um, we're getting percentages of 95 plus of people in did not want to live in a gas field. So that was a really first step to say that there was no social licence for industries to come on board. But then the, the key was to get into the ears of the right decision makers. And, and we used social media. Um, that was a really strong um, area that we had to make sure that we were really vocal on social media. We also met with really key uh, local MPs and ministers and we met with media. And so it was really just be, um, you know creating this huge... Um, not not campaign, but the the fact that we had our communities all with us going along this journey that we we knew that we um that we were on the right track to to be heard. Um, one of the things I noticed about the campaign is that you had a lot of people who weren't from the ordinary left. Um, mm. How did you how did you go about getting those people involved? Like I, I know you said that you door knocked, but you know, um, what do you think made them active on this issue when they might not be active on another issue? Yeah, I think that um, 
this was never really an anti-gas campaign. It was never an environment campaign in the beginning. This was just more about our agriculture and our farmers. And most of our people in our group are farmers, um, which you wouldn't find to be normally activists on environmental issues. So um, in the beginning, it was just more about protecting our agriculture, our air and our water, um, and, you know, and protecting our clean and green image and our environment that we have in Victoria. And we were putting that above anything else. We weren't going to let that be uh, be put at risk. So so you automatically have those people that are really, um, you know, committed to the land and, you know, love their land and they work the land and it's a business for farmers. You know, they don't want their land um, compromised in any way. So um, to already have them on board was, I think, made it more powerful because it wasn't just um, an environmentalist campaign. Mm, and it was an, an alliance between two groups that previously hadn't been allied. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, to come together in the room with uh, farmers and, and I suppose your traditional green, greenies, you could say, was um, very powerful indeed. And, and it also um, reached everyone from different political backgrounds. It was certainly not, uh, we didn't align with any um, political party, but um, everyone in our, in our communities are all voting differently. But there was sort of this consensus that... Uh, that we were only going to uh, you know, deal with a, a government that actually wanted to give us a permanent ban and thankfully Labor has given us that. Mm. My friend um, who was fighting this issue found himself on the picket line with um, shock jock Alan Jones. Oh, he, right. He was a bit surprised about that. Yeah, and, and look, I think it's um, not until you're really greatly affected um, you don't really see other issues that are going on. And since... Since that I have, um, you know, watched this space on the unconventional gas, I now watch coal activism and um, tree logging and, you know, land clearing management issues for farmers. There's a wide range of issues that have, have sort of cropped up in my um, in my social media sort of um, viewing now because of this issue. So, yeah, it certainly um, brings a lot of people together. So I noticed as well as the um, ban on unconventional gas, there's also a temporary ban on conventional gas mining in Victoria until 2020. Can you please tell us about that? Yeah, so um, originally uh, this whole campaign was based around unconventional gas and fracking and, and that's where communities had their most concern. It wasn't until we had a small exploration gas companies saying that they could now drill with conventional methods and pretty much they were just shifting the goalposts. Um, they were really grasping at straws. So our focus then turned to, well, okay, if, if the government's going to go down this path, what does that mean for communities? And we really saw it as a foot-in-the-door tactic uh, to, get in, to get in, to start drilling and then go, oh, hey, guess what? We need to do some fracking down the track. So, um, we, you know, our focus did shift a little bit towards the end on, on conventional gas because we were worried it was, a, a, like I said, a foot-in-the-door tactic. Um, I, I would say that having the ban on unconventional and hydraulic fracturing, um, that's really protected us. And the government now are going, going to look at conventional. I would hope that... You know, they, they were really measured and really um, great with their inquiry with unconventional. So I'm just hoping that they will be the same with conventional. And I'm, I'm not sure exactly um, how far that will go down the track for onshore. Mm. And are you going to keep fighting um, to ban offshore unconventional gas mining? 
I haven't even thought about that. <laughs> I think it's something that um, I'm definitely more curious about and interested in. Um, at this stage, I, it was just about onshore. Um, there, there's many issues that I think that we've got as a community now about whether we ch are choosing mining and fossil fuels or whether we're going to be choosing renewables and agriculture and, and keeping our clean and green image. So I think there's a range of issues that you could um, to look at to make sure we, we protect um, our environment and our agriculture. Hmm. Um, do you think that this ban's related to the um, Victorian renewable energy targets that the Andrews government announced in June? I think it has to. It has to have a lot to do with. There's a lot of things that sort of. Um, if we join the dots, there's a lot of things that ha that happened. Um, we had, you know, we had a dairy crisis as well, and we had farmers that were really struggling, and so we've seen the government announce um, packages and support for dairy farmers. We had this renewable um, energy. Um, target, which is quite reasonable, and uh, it seemed to me that the Andrews government wanted to be serious about climate change, so that also um, helped. There was no way that they could do gas drilling and um, be serious about climate change when we've seen um, reports and science reports saying that um, methane emissions coming from onshore gas drilling was just skyrocketing in the US from shale gas development and fracking. So if they were serious about uh, renewables and serious about um, climate change, yes, they, they could not go down this path, and we, we certainly made it clear to them as well, um, you know, that that was part of the decision. And so um, you've been fighting against unconventional gas, but what sort of a, um, a positive vision do you have um, for the future in agricultural regions? Well, I, I'm just looking at our own uh, town at the moment and I can see already that we've got this sort of community mobilised again and we're all connected, so we've got those really great contacts and, and a voice now. So, we, you know, we, um, I think that uh, for an agricultural um, sense, there needs to be that uh, support from the um, you know, city slickers, I suppose you could say, or city dwellers, to say, you know, we really support our farmers as well. We, we People are willing to spend that little bit extra. We saw that with milk. Um, the people are willing to spend a little bit extra to make sure our farmers were getting the most benefit. So I, I think we're going to see more of that, that we want to know where our food is coming from. We want to know what's in our food. Um, local uh, farmers markets are just absolutely going crazy because people want to support their local farmers. So I think things like that are just going to continue to, um, to blossom and grow. Great. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Um, no, I, I think that mainly um, the community have, have really had a voice on this issue and it's been loud and heard loud and clear and we're just thankful that the um, Andrews government have been able to put a permanent ban on not just, a, not just another moratorium that we would be looking at this in five and ten years' time but an actual permanent ban gives us all certainty and we know where we are now and we can all probably get on with our lives a little bit more. Yeah, great. Thanks for appearing on the show. Thank you. Thanks for that was Alison Marchant from Friends of the Earth and Lock the Gate discussing the recent ban on unconventional gas mining in Victoria. I'm Corey Green, and you're listening to Earth Matters, bringing you environmental and social justice stories. Next up, we have Suzanne Harter from the Australian Conservation Foundation talking about the cuts to ARENA, the Australian Renewable Energy Agency. Uh, welcome to the show. Can you please introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Suzanne Harder, and I'm a climate change campaigner at the Australian Conservation Foundation. Great. And can you please give us a quick history of the um, Australian Renewable Energy Agency, also known as ARENA? Yeah. So ARENA was um, created um, in 2012 and had a very specific purpose. Um, it was to support 
uh, early stages of renewable energy um, innovations, um, new technologies, um, research that would then um, move through the innovation chain to be able to be commercialized. So they had a very specific purpose um, and came into being alongside the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, um, which is an organization that was providing um, finance and funding to those same same projects that could then be um, commercialized. And is that different to the Clean Energy Innovation Fund? Yeah, so what happened was um, both ARENA, the Australian Renewable Energy Agency, and the Clean Energy Finance Corporation were created to be sort of sister organizations. Um, and $10 billion was put into the Clean Energy Finance Corporation. And that was specifically to be able to provide debt you know, funding um, in the form of loans to projects that were at a commercial level. So these were new you know, renewable energy projects, storage projects and other things. Um, but they were at a point where they um, were ready for commercialization. Um, that $10 billion fund was changed in the last election when the coalition took a billion dollars out um, and created, put a new title on that billion dollars, and they called it the Clean Energy Innovation Fund. Um, when they did that, they sort of moved ARENA's role um, and said ARENA would then become a, a, an organization that would help assess the projects that bid into that new fund. Um, but essentially, it was just taking a billion dollars from an existing um, fund and giving it a new title. Okay. And was there any difference in the sort of projects that um, the Clean Energy Innovation Fund would fund? So the Clean Energy Innovation Fund w- was set up, um, again, to focus on um, earlier stage projects. But the problem with that is that there's an innovation chain, sort of, and, and that chain actually requires um, these various innovations to step through um, re- a research phase, a uh, development phase, a demonstration phase. So we have these amazing early research efforts that um, are revealing uh, great new technologies, um, new efficiencies, and other things. But they're at a phase where they can't actually get commercial funding. So they're not going to be able to get loans. Um, the kinds of funding that the Clean Energy Finance Corporation would provide, um, they really require grant assistance. Um, once they get a little further down the innovation line, they can actually then sort of uh, attract um, other types of funding. So both um, that new fund, that Clean Energy Innovation Fund, was set up, again, to provide um, loan debt and equity funding, so essentially um, loans. And the problem with that is that it just skips over the whole fact that these, these new innovations still need um, a period of time in which they get some grant assistance to move to the point where they're commercial ready. Mm. And so what sort of projects does ARENA support? So ARENA supports a whole range of, of projects. Um, they, um, across the board, so most recently, in fact, today, they announced the results of a large-scale solar PV round. Um, and so that was all about supporting big um, solar projects across the country. Um, and the reason for that is that, you know, historically in, in Australia, we've got a lot of wind energy projects up because they've been sort of the, the cheapest renewable energy projects to get up. Um, and the technology had developed to a point where it was um, less expensive to build those big um, wind projects. The point of this round for um, ARENA 
was to help invest in those large-scale projects to get them to the point where um, the cost of them would go down through these new developments, um, where they could leverage some additional investment money. So it had a whole lot of um, purposes behind it. They um, so so basically that was one type of project that they um, that they support large scale solar, but they've also supported um, bioenergy. So this is using algae, for example, to produce a form of fuel. Um, they've supported a number of different storage type um, efforts. And, and some hybrid efforts, so where you'd have a perhaps wind working with solar, um, trying to complement existing diesel to try to create more of a renewable um, uh, energy generation um, situation. Uh, they've, so they've done some unusual combinations of technologies. Um, they've worked on ways of integrating more renewables into our big national electricity grid. And while doing this, they've supported a whole lot of um, really world-class researchers. So some of their money has gone into Australia's universities. Um, they've gone into scientists at the CSIRO. Um, and some of the results are world-leading. In fact, just a week or so ago, um, scientists at the ANU revealed a whole new world record um, solar efficiency that they managed to develop. Um, which had broken records around the world for a 97% efficiency in, in solar generation. Um, these kinds of innovations are also being supported um, by the Australian Renewable Energy Agency. And, and a result like that ends up making its way through the entire you know, solar innovation world. That kind of a technology can sort of change the face of solar and also change the cost of solar. Mm, that's absolutely incredible. Yeah, they've had an amazing result. And just to um, make a point about today's announcement, um, so they it was a $100 million um, large-scale solar round. What they ended up, um, which today they announced 12 projects um, in New, New South Wales, Queensland, and Western Australia. But through that $100 million, they managed to leverage a billion dollars of renewable energy investment. So it just goes to show it's a, it's a relatively small investment by arena, and they've been able to bring on board all of this additional investment. Also, when they first announced that round, the intention was to get 200 megawatts of solar energy is what they thought they could buy with their $100 million because of new innovations like the ones that the Australian scientists are driving, they managed to get all, over double that amount of, of energy they managed to buy. So 480 megawatts um, is what they're getting from those 12 projects. And it's just showing that the cost of solar is going down. But part of that is being driven by these new innovations and these new developments. Um. And what do you think that the ramifications will be of the um, loss of the $1.3 billion funding? Well, look, that is the vast majority of ARENA's funding. So I think um, the result will be that um, ARENA won't remain viable. I don't see how they can continue to assist um, these new innovations, these new projects, with essentially um, very, very little funding. 
We've also heard from um, some of the scientists I just mentioned. So 190 scientists um, just wrote an open letter to government saying, if this funding disappears, our jobs will disappear as well. And these are, again, world-leading scientists. We heard, again, from another 120 CSIRO scientists that said the same thing, that our work is supported through ARENA funding, and we won't, um, we won't remain viable if ARENA's funding disappears. We also had a whole lot of major companies um, send an open letter today, including AGL and GE and Tesla. There's a whole bunch of them um, that said the same thing, that... Um, innovation in Australia, our renewable energy potential um, will be seriously curbed um, if ARENA disappears. So we're hearing this from all levels, from business, um, from scientists. Um, it's a very clear indication um, that ARENA has great value in terms of our future um, and certainly in terms of our innovation agenda. Um, and it is not the way. So ARENA's being... Um, is losing this money in the name of budget repair. Essentially what's happening is we're going to, you know, cut at the knees uh, an agency that is actually driving economic growth, driving jobs, and setting us up for a future um, that will be based on clean energy. Why would we want to do that? So if you think that the um, motivation isn't budget repair, what do you think that the motivation for this decision might be? Well, you know, it is, so they are in the omnibus budget savings bill, so it's being done in the name of budget repair. But in truth, um, $1.3 billion is not going to change Australia's budget situation. And again, it's the wrong place to go. So I think there's a bit of politics at play here, um, to be honest. Um, so the, the coalition government is using, um, you know, these various um, budget savings to sort of corner the LP, for example, that did make some commitments leading into the last election. Um, when Tony Abbott was prime minister, it was very clear at the time that um, his government was keen to destroy the renewable energy industry. The renewable energy target was attacked. Um, the look of wind turbines was um, was commented upon as in they're ugly and a blight, you know. And there were a whole lot of things that happened that actually made investment in Australia around renewables drop significantly. In fact, an 88% drop. So all of those comments and those efforts on the part of government has already impacted um, renewable energy investment here. This kind of, um, this attempt to add ARENA um, to this budget savings bill is again creating this shakiness. Um, so look, I, you know, maybe in there, in the name of budget repair, it may make a slight difference. Um, I guess I would make the case that it's not the right place. It's a misguided effort around budget repair. Mm. And um, how does funding for renewable projects under this government compare to funding for fossil fuel-based energy projects? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so what we know is that um, we still, the government still supports subsidies um, to the fossil fuel industry in a number of different ways. Um, you know, calculations show that that adds up to somewhere around $7.7 billion a year. There's different ways of calculating that. But what we do know is it's billions of dollars. 
And so we are supporting uh, an industry that um, certainly, you know, the fossil fuel industry that is in decline, that if we care at all about the climate and about climate change and meeting our commitments that we made in Paris, um, we can't rely upon fossil fuels forever. So, so while this amount of um, subsidy is going into the fossil fuel industry, we're not seeing the same level of assistance um, for renewable energy. So ARENA um, is one of those few organizations um, with a relatively small, small budget, quite frankly, um, that is directly supporting renewable energy, in this case through grants. And it's an essential form of assistance. Um, Clean Energy Finance Corporation, as I said, still exists and is absolutely essential as well. But um, but there's very little, um, I, I would say, additional uh, assistance. We still have a renewable energy target in place, um, but that's uh, that target was brought down um, last year to 23%. It could have gone higher. Um, so we're just not seeing the kind of ambition that we need to be seeing around growing uh, renewable energy in Australia. And what do you think it will take um, to make the government change its priorities? Oh, oh, that's a very good question. We'd like to think that they would recognize the enormous, enormous benefit um, that renewable energy offers to Australia. What what we're seeing is that there is global investment happening. Other countries see the opportunity. Um, Some recent analysis showed that there will be 28 trillion dollars invested in renewable energy and energy efficiency over the next couple decades. So I'd like to think that the government would notice that um, there's a massive opportunity, both in terms of growing our economy, this is a growth sector, and providing jobs um, for Australians. And another thing to note is a lot of these jobs um, end up in regional areas, and regional communities really need more opportunity. Um, and this is a growth sector. So, uh, you know, I'd like to see, think that the government will, will at some point recognize um, that this is a sector that needs to be supported, and we need to have really strong ambition um, in growing renewable energy here, where we have some of the best resources in the world. Our, our renewable energy resources here are spectacular. Um, so we should take advantage of that. Yeah, well, I mean, there's the logical argument, but um, that doesn't seem to be moving the government. I was just... Anyway. It, it's not moving, yeah. So so this is a good question, and, and I would love to... Um, to find out exactly what is behind the thinking um, in terms of this continued uh, attack, or certainly not um, strong support for renewable energy. It doesn't make any sense at all. Mm. Is there um, anything else you'd like to say on the topic? Um, no, I think that's, um, no, I think that wraps it up, except that I would really hope um, that the government and the opposition see the light and end up pulling this renew- this arena cut out of the current omnibus bill that's before the parliament and instead really raises ambition and starts supporting um, the renewable energy industry and all of those amazing researchers and innovators that are working around um, the sector. All right. Thank you very much for appearing on the show. Thank you so much. That was Suzanne Harter from the Australian Conservation Foundation talking about the cuts to ARENA, the Australian Renewable Energy Agency. To find out more, go to acf.org.au. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network with Corey Green.
Earlier in the show, we heard from Alison Marchant from Friends of the Earth and Lock the Gate about the recent ban on unconventional gas mining in Victoria. For more information, go to lockthegate.org.au. If you missed some of today's show, don't forget that our podcast can be downloaded at 3cr.org.au slash earthmatters. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous financial support and the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in getting this program out to you. Earth Matters was produced in the studios at 3CR Radio in Fitzroy, Victoria on the Kula Nation. Our contact phone is 03-9419-8377 and our email is earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. That's all for today, but we'll be back again next week. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia on the Kulin Nation. For more information and to find out how you can support 3CR, go to www.3cr.org.au.